Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 8, Episode 15. In this week's episode, we were tying up some loose ends. Uh, all three elements that were discussed in this episode, the autopsy, the report from the victim's assistance coordinator, and the deposition by Brenda Stuckert, were all things that I had kind of on deck for future episodes, but hadn't built around a full episode around them yet. So as we're approaching the end of our current coverage of season eight, I wanted to just get some of this information out there. Uh, there was a lot of information in there. I'm joined in person in the studio by Zach and Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, Zach. And I don't know how to respond to them saying hi to each other and not me, so we're just going to get started. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right, before we get to the listener questions, uh, Zach, I don't know how many questions or what opinions you have in the episode, but I know before we stepped in here, you mentioned to me one thing that you thought that I was wrong about. I don't know that you're wrong about it. I just wanted you to explain it to me. You said when, when they're discussing her bruises that there was a bruise to the back of her knee. And you said that that kind of equates to her falling down the stairs. Or more so than fighting with her parents. I, more so than her fighting with her parents. You're absolutely right. I was trying to figure out how you bruise the back of your knee while falling down the stairs. Now I could see like your butt or your calves or your thighs, your feet. Right. But the back of your knee, that's a weird place to hit. Yeah. So I'll explain to the listeners, as I explained to you in our conversation before we stepped into the recording booth. Uh, so I said that because the minute I read it, it immediately took me back to my own experience falling down the stairs. So when I was at the fire department in my, my younger years, I was uh, the lieutenant on our ladder truck that was at, at our station one, which is an old, old building. And that building, 
used to have is a two story building with the living quarters upstairs, and we used to have a fire pole. And like most departments, with the insurance providers made us take out the fire pole and put in stairs. Somehow they didn't think it was it was more dangerous to have a bunch of firemen build the stairs instead of a licensed contractor. So mind you, the way this works, we get to sleep at work, you know, unless there's a fire at night. And so the bunk room is upstairs and you're sound asleep in the middle of the night. And then when the alarm goes off, you have 60 seconds to get down the stairs into your bunker gear in the truck and out the door. So you're a little disoriented, half asleep and and hurrying. And they built these stairs and they were the the tread and rise on the stairs were not even in any way the entire way down the stairs. Like I remember measuring at one point after falling a couple times that, you know, like the first step had an eight inch run and like an eight inch rise. And then the next one only had a seven inch tread and like a nine inch rise. And it was like that the whole way down. And so when I was, when I was still pretty new at the station, we got a, an alarm at three o'clock in the morning that there was a house on fire. And so I jumped up. Of course, you sleep in your socks because you got to get out the door quick. You don't have time to be putting socks on. So I, I jumped up. Went running down the stairs and they were carpeted, hit the carpet, slipped, fell on my ass and my legs in a weird crumpled up way, and then slid all the way down the stairs and hit the wall at the end of the landing. Uh, it was an excruciating pain as I continued to move out to the fire truck to go out to fight the fire. And the next morning, after we were done fighting the fire and I took my bunkers off and went to go take a shower and go home, the first thing that I noticed was a bruise that was starting to form on the back of my knee. And two days later, when I went back to my next shift, and I used to go in in my workout clothes because I'd work out in the morning before we start, I had a massive, I had bruises all over, but I remember having a massive, big, purpley, black bruise on the back of my knee. And so for me, when I was reading that, I was like, oh yeah, I had that same bruise when I fell down the stairs. Yeah, see, it just caught me off guard because I've fallen down the stairs numerous times and never bruised the back of my knee. Right. But obviously your retort shut me up pretty easily when you're like, well, how did she bruise the back of her knee fighting with her parents? Right. And th- yeah, and that was, and so the other, obviously my story is, is anecdotal, mm-hmm. uh, my, my rebuttal to that. But yeah, that, that's the point for me is I'm, when, when I, what I meant more so was I can see her bruising her foot and the back of her knee. And, and she said she had bruises all over her, but mm-hmm. they were described in the lower body other than the one on the arm, she said. Uh, but she said that she had bruises all over. Like I can see that happening falling down the stairs because I've fallen down the stairs on multiple occasions at that station. Uh, you have fallen down. You've taken a ride down the stairs holding a baby, mm-hmm. uh, holding a firearm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not at the same time. Well, right, I didn't right. have the baby yeah, and the two, two different. Two different times. Two different times. It's not a perfect, you know, you, you flip and roll and there's a lot of stuff happening there. Yeah. So I could see like, okay, I can see how she can get bruised up like that falling down the stairs. But then that one specifically on the back of the knee, like, how when you're fighting and there's really no evidence that you, know, you don't see any any bruising or cuts or anything on her face if she was the killer, mm-hmm. you know, to say that her that either of her parents got really got the best of her in any way. And obviously they ended up dead. But I can't I can't imagine the scenario where she bruises her foot in the back of her knee during those fights. But I can think of a scenario where she would get those bruises falling down the stairs. All right, so is there anything, before we get into the listener questions, anything else that you specifically wanted to address? I I think some of it's going to come up in listener questions. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started then. All right, our first question comes from Gemma. Were the powder blue coveralls behind the bathroom door? Uh, Well, first of all, just to refresh everybody's memory, in Brenda's affidavit, 
She said that Lloyd had a pair of powder blue coveralls, and when he wasn't wearing them, he hung them up in the bathroom. I didn't see the coveralls in the crime scene video at all. But again, it didn't cover every element of the house, so it could have been. But several listeners, if you go on the the podcast fan page on on Facebook, uh, a lot of listeners have really dissected the video and taken some screenshots, and it looks like there are two pairs of coveralls hanging in Lloyd's closet. It looks like there is a a, a long sleeve set of coveralls hanging up, and then kind of off, it's, it's kind of behind the door, but only parts of it are sticking out. It looks like there's a short sleeve powder blue pair of coveralls hanging there in the closet. So I think that's where they were. All right, still talking about the coveralls. Solomon says, into the episode, Brenda's affidavit stated Lloyd had a powder blue one-piece jumpsuit he wore for work and would hang it in the restroom when not working. I do not recall seeing the jumpsuit in the restroom or anywhere else in the crime scene video, like you just said, Bob. Could it be possible that the man in the coveralls was wearing Lloyd's jumpsuit? It's possible. As we just said, we it looks like those coveralls are in the closet. And also, to be clear, when she says uh, when he says that he would wear them for work, she's not saying that he wore them to his place of employment. She's saying if he was doing like work around the house, he was wearing them. If what we're seeing in the crime scene video in that closet are the coveralls, I would say absolutely not. I mean, certainly the killer didn't put on the coveralls, go in the backyard, and then come back in and hang them back up in the closet. That would be a piece of evidence that would be taken with them. So, no, I don't think so. Emily says, why did Brenda bring up the coveralls? I find it intriguing that a man was in the backyard in coveralls, and she brings it up in her interview. Could either her fiancé or Paul pass for the guy the neighbor saw? So that was one of the questions I had. Maybe not the Paul or the fiancé, but where did that come from? Why did she bring that up? Was she led into that at all? Do we know? Well, it's it, unfortunately, it's not a transcript or recorded interview, but this is a perfect demonstration of what I say a lot. And, and a lot of people, especially people that, that are you know lean towards guilt, don't like this, I'm air quoting, excuse. But this is a perfect example of that because I don't think Brenda had anything to do with this. When we see a deposition or a detective's notes or report or an affidavit like this, just like in Agnes's journal, you're only seeing one side of it. You're seeing a finished product of the discussion. So in this case, it seemed, because it is added in the kind of the bottom almost as an afterthought, it's, to me, it's very obvious that the police were talking to her and said, did your dad have a pair of, of blue coveralls? Because there was there was a man with coveralls seen there. Did he have a pair? And she was like, yeah, he had a pair of powder blue ones. And so probably as she wrote out the affidavit, or the they called it a deposition, as she wrote it out, and they're like, can you put the part in there about the coveralls? Or is there anything else? Oh, yeah, the coveralls or whatever that were added in. But I am I, 100% certain that that is because the detectives were asking her, which is a, a question that they would ask, right? There's somebody seen with coveralls. But it also shines a light back on kind of the piss poor crime scene investigation work that they don't know that there are coveralls hanging in the closet, that that wasn't inventoried. But yeah, I think that's why she brought them up. I think it's as simple as they asked her about it. Carol says, why was there never a lineup of men for Dr. Abelos to look at? Using Paul, James, Billy Ray, and the guy pulled over matching her description and wearing coveralls. Or at the very least, have her look at photographs. That's a good question. I mean, in my opinion, the answer is because Hardy had blinders on and and was dead set on Deb. I mean, we've discussed this already, the fact that, you know, when we had Dr. Abelos on the show, she said, you know, she she was kept asking them 
why are you showing me pictures of women when I very clearly told you I saw a man? And it's because, and again, my opinion that, you know, Hardy wanted Deb. He was trying to find, he had a weak case and was trying to find more evidence against Deb. So he showed her pictures, including Deb. And then as she said, you know, she said, I don't want to use the word coaching, but what she described was coaching. Are you sure it couldn't have been a woman? Are you sure it couldn't have been one of these? When she said very clearly, no, they're not even the right sex. So I think that's why it's done. I, I wish that it would have been done. Uh, you know, they also had in the police file, there's a photo lineup that, that police had put together, but based on the, the records, it doesn't seem that they ever showed it to anybody. They had made a list of people that had recently gotten out of jail or prison. Um, so they had that list and they also had a, a, a male photo lineup list. But I think that was used to, to help like the police officers that were on the scene of the funeral. If I remember correctly, that was used to help identify, uh, who Paul was because they want, you know, they, they, they wanted to verify that he was the person they were seeing, but it doesn't look like it was shown to any witnesses. So no, the short answer to the question is they didn't show Dr. Abelow's pictures of men because they were already convinced that a woman did it. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Kathy says in the victim assistant report, Deb states she left her parents at about 10 o'clock a.m. The neighbor Mabel says she saw her leave at about 10.15, but Agnes didn't arrive home till almost 11, and Deb claims her mother came home while she was there. This discrepancy has always bothered me. Can you help explain this? It really doesn't bother me. and In fact, it's another thing that the way I see it, it almost leans more toward, just, just like I was discussing in the episode, the nap, right? Maybe we should talk about that for a minute and, and don't let me, I'll have to ask you to remind me what we're talking about here, Mike, when we come back to this. But it just, it just reminded me, what did you think, Zach, about the fact that Deborah never mentions a nap in any of her statements? You know, I would say that it alludes to her not necessarily knowing that, that she was taking a nap or, you know what I mean? Like she... Mm-hmm. If she doesn't include it, it's not something that she acknowledged at all. Right. So, again, you're not, you know, if, if she really walked her to the door, she's acknowledging that she walked her to the door. Sure. Yeah, and and that's the point that I was getting at in the show is, let's say for a minute that Deb's guilty. Mm-hmm. She know. first of all, you, I, I would expect to see that, she knows that Agnes was attacked while laying in bed. I would expect to see that information leak out, mm-hmm. even, if, even if not on purpose. Like when she writes her handwritten itinerary, that's not for anyone's eyes but her own. Yeah. But do we know that she was, I mean, we don't necessarily know that she was attacked in bed. We know that she was possibly taking a nap. But, you know, I, I kind of think that maybe she came to the door, the bedroom door. 
Because you have the proof of the door, you know, I mean, she being trapped between the wall and the door. But because of the blood spatter, we know that she had already been attacked in that position. Okay. Right? Because she's got transfer blood on the wall and the door. So she was already bleeding at that point. Okay. But but, but not to null, nullify what you said, because you're right. We don't know for sure she was attacked, attacked in the bed. Mm-hmm. But if she wasn't, she pretty quickly into the attack ended up back on the bed mm-hmm. because of the, we know from the blood and there's pan shattered on there. And, you know, you got the stab in, in, in the back. In my opinion, I think she was attacked while she was still laying down, but I think it's possible she could have gotten up and they got knocked back down. Well, so I was, I was envisioning her coming to see what the noise was. Like if, if Lloyd was attacked. Right. And then the killer approaches her in the hallway and sure she, she's attacked. She retreats, tries to get the door closed. The killer comes through the door. There's a scuffle onto the bed, whatever, you know. Right. That's kind of the way I envision it. Yeah, I, I definitely can see, based on what we have as, as far as evidence, I can see her coming out and then coming into contact with the killer in the doorway and retreating back to the bedroom. Mm-hmm. For sure, I can, I can, I can see that happening. And, it, and, that could, you know, and she just ends up on the bed you know, as, the, as the attack's starting. So that's, that's certainly possible and even likely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, or can't say unlikely even. But because of the blood spatter behind the door, what I think happened, it's just my own hypothesis, is that the attacks are either on the bed or close to the bed, ends up, you know, and she's beaten and cut and bloody and she's gone down. And I think that the killer left the room and came back. Remember, you have all those pans, you got two different pans being used and mm-hmm. a knife in that room. I think the killer left the room, at which point Agnes gets to her feet. And then is trying to keep them out when they try to come back in. Because only because we know she was bleeding when she was behind. We have a, an imprint of her body and blood mm-hmm. behind the door. Okay. You know, so, so. And I can see that. But in any case, I think in, in either of those situations, if it was dead. Now, if it's a random killer, sure. If they, if they, if they come into contact with her in the middle of the hallway, mm-hmm. then they might not know she was napping. But if it was Deb, she knows she's napping. Mm-hmm. Right, because she says, "I'm going to go back and take a nap." Yeah, and she comes out of there no glasses, which would be unusual. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so if 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 it was Deb, she would definitely know. So I, I would expect to see that information leaking out. E- either, honestly, what I would expect is if Deb's guilty but trying to convince you she's innocent, she would say, "Nope, I was there. We talked. She gave me the paperwork. She lay down for a nap, and I left." Mm-hmm. Because you know she knows that. That's where everything happens. So she's trying to set the scene so that everything matches. You know, when, when you're when you're telling a story like that, you're trying to match up to what evidence is there. Now it doesn't always happen that way. But even if she didn't do it on purpose, I would expect to see it leak out. You know, so you know when she's talking, it, she slips and says, "I don't know." She was taking a nap, or my dad was this, and we never see that ever. I'm not even sure if it even comes out in. The trial testimony. I don't think it. I don't think it does because nobody until we really broke down the scene. Nobody really agreed that she was napping. I think the defense brought it up, mm-hmm. but the the state just said no, that's not the case, and they, they and nobody believed them. Obviously, we looked at you know the the glasses on the nightstand and the bed pulled back and where the extra pillow came from and yada yada yada. The computer shut down all the stuff that indicates she was napping. The journal entries that say that when she came back from the chiropractor, she didn't feel well, so she napped. You know, there's a, there's a lot to be said. But anyway, she she never she never says anything about the nap, which I, in my opinion, I think that she didn't know she was napping. I think she was gone before the nap. Uh, getting back to the question, when we're talking about the times, that not only doesn't bother me, but it kind of goes down that same vein for me. So so Deb says she waved at Joe Zabo when she left. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 
She says she was there. She doesn't deny she was there. Yep, I was there this morning. I left about this time. If she killed her parents, she knows damn well when that happened. Okay. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, she would be, because we're kind of saying that she's like a terrible criminal and a criminal mastermind all at the same time, right? Trying to cover all this up. But I think she would know that her mom, it would be significant, especially remember, this is a premeditated attack. And that plays when it comes into uh, the memory of details in the scene. So whoever did this premeditated, they printed a note. So if she's sitting there waiting for her mom to get home so that she can kill her parents. My guess is she's watching the clock. She has an idea of what time it is. I just think that it would be very clear when she left. She wouldn't say, I left at 10, when she knows her mom didn't get home until 1045. You know, she wouldn't conflict. She would either say, yeah, I left and never saw mom. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't home yet. Or, yeah, she got home around 11 and, and then I left. But the fact that she's giving conflicting information about time, but not in any way that has a utility. To me is again indicator that she wasn't paying attention to time and details at the time of the murders because she didn't know anything was happening and she didn't know anything was going to happen. So so to me, when someone says, Yeah, I was there, I think I left around 10. My mom came home, we talked for a few minutes, I left around 10. And she's wrong about that, but there's no utility in that because it's easy to prove when her mom got home and there's witnesses that she maybe she doesn't even know about. She would be purposely setting herself up with a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that she does that to me just indicates that she didn't, she wasn't paying any attention. Mm-hmm. Well, and it could go. I I know that there was a time change recently, right there too. If she had a wristwatch and she didn't change change the time, sure, that pushes it back to eleven. Yeah, and this is before you know in, in two thousand one. I mean, there were cell phones, but mm-hmm. not like the cell phones we have today. Yeah, you know, not everybody had one, and you didn't have your car stereo that. Bluetooth connects to your phone and auto changes the time with the time change. You know, none of that was a thing. And the one other thing is Mabel seeing her at 1015. Mabel doesn't say that she leaves. She says that she sees her. Said she saw her walk out to the car, but she saw her open the passenger side door of the car. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't see her necessarily leave at 1015. Right. And then, yeah, and that's, and and she makes that clear. And, and obviously we know she didn't leave then, Mm -hmm. you know, because we know now we now know that Agnes wasn't home yet. So she went out to the out to the passenger side of the car at some point, which, you know, again, there's something I think the state theorized was her, you know, taking the murder weapons and stuff and moving them out, you know, taking out to the car. But we also know the murders hadn't happened yet at that point. So she makes a trip out to the car and comes back in. But that that's my thing with the time. And certainly people will argue with that and they won't be wrong, necess- you know, necessarily. That's just you look at how you want to. But when I'm looking at these things and I see somebody who gives information, gives especially times. When somebody gives you times that are actually creating a problem for themselves, it's usually to me an indicator that they don't, they weren't paying. You know, it's like go back to season one with the non Syed, you know, Ed Eights and, and, and his. A lot of times, if you didn't commit a crime and it's just a normal day for you, you have kind of an idea of when th- things happened. But if you don't have some specific anchor or marker, and Deb, who's unemployed and is just wandering around, going shopping, taking, you know, She's not watching a clock, but she has no reason to be watching a clock unless she's specifically waiting for the biggest event of her entire life, the day she's going to physically murder her parents. I think that she would absolutely have a better idea of what happened. But I think the time thing changes a good point. I think it's a good, good chance that she just, you know, either just wasn't paying attention and in her mind it was around 10 mm-hmm. 
or you know it could even be as simple as like I said or or the the clock and if she didn't have a watch the clock on her car mm-hmm. I have to which they didn't have then but I have to get on Google and YouTube every time the time changes to figure out how to reset the the this clock on the stereo in my truck until my new truck that has the Bluetooth thing and it just does it <laughs> it connects to my phone and, and goes off my phone time but you know so it's very likely that Becky I guarantee you in her Jeep the, it, she's probably can't wait until the fall back. Because her clock will be right again. <laughs> she never changed it. And, and it. and it could be 10 minutes off and she'll leave it like that forever because she can't ever figure out how to change it mm-hmm. without, without looking it up. So I think there's a lot of different reasons for it. The time differences don't bother me at all. We know for sure that when Mabel saw her, she wasn't leaving because Agnes wasn't home yet. But no, I'm, not, I'm not overly concerned about Deb having those times wrong. Lauren would like to know more about Paul after Deb went to jail. Did they get a divorce, et cetera? My understanding is that, you know, it's unfortunate that I had finally started communicating with Deb right before she unfortunately passed away. You know, I, I'd, I'd waited through the season to have more information. I wrote her a letter. She wrote me back. I wrote her another letter. And then obviously we never got to hear back. But those are some of the questions I wanted to know. From my understanding, Paul has always maintained that he believes she's innocent. But after she was in prison, at some point for some number of years, they did. Uh, my understanding is they did eventually get divorced so Paul could move on with his life. And also, before we get to the next question, it just occurred to me somebody had tweeted at me or something. Um, I never said what happened to Deb in the episode, and I kind of forgot about that. I posted it on social media. But so, so Deb was in the medical unit already because she had several health issues. She had had cancer. I believe she had been diagnosed with cancer again. I I don't remember the list, but she had several she had several medical conditions, and ended up in the hospital. And when she got in the hospital, she was diagnosed with COVID. Uh, and then she and you know when she died, I think it says she had COVID pneumonia. There's like four different things uh, that were listed as her cause of death. But but essentially, I guess we would say it would be a, a, a COVID death. You know, I, I don't know if that would, you know, if, if she was so sick to the point where she was going to pass away anyway without COVID or if COVID caused it, but that was basically, she was another COVID death. And on that note, uh, keep in your thoughts and prayers, Jesse Eldridge, cause I just got word today that he has been diagnosed with COVID. Now, fortunately in Jesse's case, uh, so far he's completely asymptomatic. They were just doing testing because people in the prison have it. Uh, but I, I did hear that he does have it. So, um, Keep Jesse in your thoughts and prayers and, uh, you know, write him a letter if you haven't in a while. I don't think they're really able to do phone calls right now, but that's going on. So anyway, I just want to put that out there because somebody pointed out that I never actually said on the podcast what happened to Deb. And before you start reading the question, let me interrupt you one more time. I just want to throw a big thank you out to all of you who contributed um, the the GoFundMe for Angela, Deb's daughter, uh, that needed the money to, to get her body transported back here and to have her funeral. Uh, they had originally put up a GoFundMe with a goal of $10,000, and um, they, they had about 1000 bucks in it when I announced it to all of you that Angela needed help to bury her mom. And as of last night when I looked, we have we had raised, I think it was $10,600 that's going directly to Angela so that she can she can give her mother a proper burial, which I believe the memorial service for, for Deb is going to be tomorrow, September 5th. But just want to say a big thank you. The Truth and Justice audience never ceases to amaze me at how kind and loving and giving all of you are. And it was another example of of many hands making light work. Didn't see a lot of, if any, really big donations, but hundreds of you went to the GoFundMe and donated small amounts. And that made it 
so that Angela was able to give her mother a proper funeral. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Marius says it's hard to get past the blood evidence in this case. The explanation that it came from washing dishes is extremely flimsy. Why would it be left all over the house? Can it really be dismissed just on the basis that the lab was later shut down for misconduct? The evidence on its face isn't something that should be disregarded. And I'm not even saying we should disregard it now. The problem that I have, obviously, so there's a couple things. With the blood evidence, we have the issue that there's a, there's a lot that doesn't seem right. You know, you have, you know, one of, one of the most important pieces of the state's case as far as evidence is the, the blood on the trash can lid. Then it's a lid that was sitting around the house, had been moved multiple times. There was a locksmith in the house, lawyers in the house, people have been in and out. And then eight months later, it's collected after crime scene techs had already looked at it. And, and then now they collected eight months later and now there's Deb's blood on it. You know, and it's not to say that that's not exactly what happened, that it, you know, that it was there the whole time and it was Deb's blood. It's just, you know, it, it just makes it so it's not a very clean piece of evidence. Something I was going to talk about this week, and it just didn't fit in with the episode, and I guess I'll drop it in here now because it won't be, uh, I probably won't have a place to talk about it in the coming episodes, but the caller ID box. When Allison and I went to Fort Worth and we went to the clerk's office and were able to look at the evidence, we saw the uh, the trash can lid, and you can see all the testing they do on it. It's very normal what they do is they, you know, they see spots that they suspect are evidence. They circle those spots with like a marker or a pen. And then they do presumptive testing there where they test it to see if it is blood. And we can see, you can see right on there, this, this is negative, this is negative, this is negative, this is positive for blood. Then they take the swab and you can see where they swabbed it and they, you know, there's still some blood there. And then they send it off for DNA testing. The caller ID box, however, this one's a little baffling. We pulled the, the caller ID box out of the, it's still in a clear evidence bag. It is pristinely clean. It looks brand new, and there is not a single mark on that box. There's no, there's no markers. There's no, and, and literally every other piece of evidence we looked at had those circles for the presumptive testing of blood. Nothing, not a marker. You don't see any dirt, no blood, no powder residue from being tested for fingerprints. There is nothing on that caller ID box. It looks like it just came out of the box as a brand new box. It's, it was, was preserved that well. And obviously, they didn't have it very, for very long before this happened because it's, it still looked brand new. But that's another big problem. Now, does that mean there's a grand conspiracy? No, it doesn't mean. But, it, but again, it makes it so that evidence isn't clean. And then we have, of course, the Fort Worth BD Crime Lab with all of their issues. 
and the fact that we have all these notes that say that testing is continuing, testing has resumed, we're starting testing again, and don't have a single document from the testing. These are just issues that make it so that evidence isn't clean, where you can't say, nope, 100%. There's your blood, there's the chain of custody, there's the testing, there's the electropharogram, and it's Deb's blood. It's just not that clean. So that's part of it. But for me, that doesn't even matter. It's, it's similar to when we're talking about like the bruises. Like, can they be explained in a different way? So Deb says she fell down the stairs. She's got bruises that the state says, oh, that's from the attack. But could they be from falling down the stairs? Sure. Deb says she had cut her finger doing dishes that morning. And then there's blood found in, in spots throughout the house. Now, is that convenient? Yeah. But could it be that that blood got there because, because it happened during the attack? Which, by the way, another thing we haven't discussed, the blood, the cuts on her finger on her offhand. And I, I'm, I'm, my, my brain's melting right now. I'm trying to remember. It. I think the cuts were on her left hand and she's right-handed or vice versa, but whatever it was. So take that for what it's worth, that they were on, they were on her offhand. But could those blood spots be explained by this other explanation, by cutting your finger doing dishes? They could be. Doesn't mean they were. But all of that together just makes us think, oh, there's some question there with the blood. You just can't say 100% that, 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 that everything is on the up and up with that blood, uh, that it's hers. And even if it is, it could be for an innocuous reason. But then you couple that with the timeline. And that's where you lose me with the blood. Without any other issues with the testing and all of that, when you have multiple eyewitnesses who all say, without question, Deb is gone before noon. We know that Agnes wasn't home until almost 11. In my opinion, the soft shutdown on the computer is an indication that the attacks hadn't started yet at 11.19. And Deb's long gone by noon. And who knows when? Again, Joe says she left sometime that morning, definitely by noon. Mabel says she got home at 11.57 and Deb was already gone. So that, that timing just doesn't work. And then you look at how ready Lloyd was for work. There's just a lot of problems. So it's not necessarily there's just some conspiracy about the blood. Let's say everything is 100% on the up and up with the blood. Where they found the blood, that was Deb's blood. 100%, no issues. But we also know that Deb was gone before the murders happened. So, And I'm, I'm, this is hypothetical. Say we know this. Let's say we, we get the surveillance footage from CC's Pizza and from Target, and we see Deb going into Target with a bandage on her finger at 9 in the morning. And then we see Deb wearing the exact same clothes, still the bandage on her hand at 11.15 at CC's Pizza. So I'm just saying, say there's a scenario where we 100% know that Deb could not have committed these murders. And then if we looked at that blood and said, but her blood's on the scene. Well, we know for a fact she didn't do it. How could the blood? Oh, well, she cut her finger doing dishes and we would, and we would accept that easily if there, were, if there was documented proof. We are not really far away from being able to say there's no way she can do it. I, I'm not saying that we can say with 100% assurity, Deb was alibied. She was gone before it happened. We can't do it. What I'm saying is, Literally all the evidence we have suggests that. Now, it's circumstantial at this point, but there is not a single piece of evidence that even suggests, much less proves, that Deb was still in that house when the attacks occurred. None. The blood shows she was there, but it doesn't show when she was there. So that's, the, that's, a, that's a long answer to your question, but 
But that's just as we're wrapping up, I'm just trying to really get my thoughts out here. But that's where I'm at with it. Like the blood wouldn't be a problem if you knew for a fact she wasn't there. And we're very close to know to knowing that she wasn't there. I don't know that we can know, but there's zero evidence that suggests she was there at that time. And there's a lot of evidence that suggests that she wasn't. Sarah says, was there ever a concern about domestic abuse in the Perringer household? Deborah's explanation of her bruises sounded like excuses given by domestic abuse victims. No, not that I know of. I, I haven't heard any claims like that, and and I would hate to even put that suspicion out there because no one's ever said anything like that has ever happened in their house. Lynn has two questions. First, she says, Brenda seemed to quickly turn on Deb. Do you think Brenda was fed information by law enforcement to elicit her cooperation or something else which led Brenda to assume Deb's guilt? Oh, 100%. And, I don't, and I'm not saying that maliciously. I'm not saying the police said, we need you to help us get Deb. I think that the police in conversation with Brenda, I mean, again, anybody who denies that Hardy was locked into Deb by day two is is just kidding themselves. It's very clear. I mean, it was even all the way through the courthouse to Judge Dofino by the day after that Deb was the main suspect. So you can expect that that was, you know, it, and then look at what we know, Dr. Avalos, right? So, you know, they show her pictures of Deb when she said there was a man. Gives you an idea of the the tunnel vision of of Hardy, right or wrong, he, he had tunnel vision. And and so I think that you can assume that through conversations with with Brenda, you know, he he definitely led her to believe, if not outright saying, I think your sister did this. I think he definitely led her to believe that they thought she did it. And I think that, you know, we a lot of people have given Deb or Brenda kind of a hard time because she's constantly calling and giving information. But I think I think two things. One, she has no way of knowing. I don't think Brenda has any way of knowing who actually did it. It's not like she has. Guilty knowledge that Deb was the culprit. Two, I think that she believed Deb was the culprit. And so she was trying, in that case, I think she was trying to help. Are there any transcripts from any of these conversations? No. And, and I think that's a huge thing because if there's not transcripts, we don't know how it got brought up. Right. Same thing we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. You just, you don't know, you know, what was shaken. Even when she calls and leaves a message and she wants to tell them, hey, Deb said this. We don't know if Hardy had talked to her before that and said, hey, let me know. If you hear anything about fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Next, Lynn says, is there any chance you can present a lineup of sorts with photos of Billy Ray, Paul, Lloyd, Emilio, and James for Dr. Abelos to look at? Although not reliable, I'd be interested in seeing if any of them triggered her memory. I I mean, I can try to do that, but based on my conversation with Dr. Abelos, I think that we are more likely to get pointed down a bad path. Meaning, I think that she would probably try to do her best to identify someone, but in, based on my conversation with her, 20 years later, I don't think she's capable of identifying someone. I just don't think her memory is that sharp. And, and so, you know, and these are questions that prosecutors and police officers should be asking themselves as, as almost an ethical and moral check when they're doing things like showing a victim a year later pictures of women when they described a man. You know, for me, I, my, my position on it is because I thought about that when I when I first got a hold of her. But my position is, if I put together this this lineup and show it to her, there maybe is a good chance she might identify someone. You know, I showed her the picture of that Emilio, and she's like, "Yeah," and, and, and you know, he's Hispanic, and she didn't describe him as dis- Hispanic. But when she saw it, she's like, "Yeah, it could be the hair complexion." You know, and then later as you got into it, yeah, well, you know, it's the hair and things that definitely in a square jaw. But anyway, it just led me to believe that you know. You know, I could show her those pictures and she could say, yeah, Brenda's fiance, that's him, that's the guy. And maybe he has nothing to do with it. It's just not reliable. There's nothing we can do with it. So I probably will not do that. 
Our last question comes from Pamela. I believe you were in the process of putting out an episode on Deb's testimony a few weeks ago. Will this be a topic for one of the final episodes? If not, can you at least post your testimony to the website so we can read it? Please and thanks. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, that is going to be this Sunday's episode. Now, I ha- this is Wednesday now. I haven't written the episode yet. I'm hoping you know, Deb testified at least two times during trial. She had her, her normal testimony. That she, I think she was brought back up in rebuttal, and she may have come back up again for another rebuttal later. Point being, this week may be the final current episode for season eight until we get any new information and if we come back to revisit it. Uh, but if the testimony is so long and there's enough important stuff we need to talk about, that may get split up over, over two weeks. But that's going to be this weekend's episode. As far as people continuing to investigate the case, still working on that. I don't think we're going to go as far as a website. The plan, we came up with a bunch of listeners that give me suggestions. Our, our, our web designer, Katie, suggested something that a lot of other people did as well that would be the easiest. And that is just to create a private either Google Drive or Dropbox where we can put the files and we'll have to set one of you listeners or a couple of you to be administrators of that who can give people links to have access to those files and then basically create another Facebook page, like a private group for anybody interested to go in there that wants to continue to discuss that case. Uh, I think that's where we're going to go. I personally prefer Dropbox, but someone brought up to me that um, Google Drive may be a better option because uh, if you get over a certain file size, you have to start paying for Dropbox and Google Drive is free. So it'll probably be Google Drive. Um, hopefully in the next week or two, we'll get that set up. But that is coming. I think that's where we're going to end up uh, putting the. I did have some listeners, several listeners volunteer to create websites for us and do stuff like that. I may look into that, but it just seems like a lot of work. And I appreciate it, but it looks like a lot of work and overcomplication for something that could be handled with just some free software that's that's already out there. So that being said, that's all we have for today. Again, this Sunday, uh, we're going to start, if not conclude, talking about Deborah Perringer's testimony. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedIntandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. 
Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. No, but I bet it does. When you said that it, that it looked good long, when I've seen you with your hat off, just when you still have hat head, I, I, mm-hmm. I bet you can do that up nice and got some long hair. I might try it sometime. I don't know. I mean, it's going to get cut sooner than later. You do a pompadour. So. Oh, yeah. Those are in, or they were in. I don't know if they're in or not. Mike's got very one. thin hair. It'd require a lot of gel oh. and stuff on it. To At least he has It's hair. very thin hair. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you said thick hair. No, thin hair. But I do wish you'd do something about them tufts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The other day we were here and we were having this conversation and I said, if you tucked and, and he tucked his hair back, like, so it was behind his ear and put it on and he looked like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> all right. All right. All this right. man looked dreamy. He looked so good. He had that nice, all like, right, you right, could tell he got right. that long hair coming out the back. Mike is dreamy. He's mm. a dreamy fella, but he got them tufts coming out front of his ears. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty interesting. It's just, I don't dress to impress, you know, it's dreamy. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.